Live from the Livingston campus of Rutgers University. This is RLC WVPH in Piscataway. 90.3 The Core. Independent community radio from Piscataway High School and Rutgers University. Learn more at thecore.fm. Many voices. One station. This is 90.3 The Core. Hello and welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. I'm James Boyle and today we are talking student mental health on campus. Um, There's no debating that this is a growing issue both on college campuses across the country and also just in general communities, um, both locally and across the country as well. Um, This is obviously a very important issue, and today we are joined by Stephen Sonley, who is the director of CAPS, I believe. Yes. Okay. Um, Thanks, Stephen, for coming on the show today. Um, Just to kind of give a general overview of what CAPS is, I want to get started off with what exactly is the the department and some of the things that it does on campus? Sure. Well, CAPS, the acronym, if anyone's wondering, stands for Counseling, ADAP, and Psychiatric Services. And the ADAP part, that stands for Alcohol and Other Drug Assistance Program. So essentially, we're the mental health service for students on campus. Uh, so CAPS provides your traditional counseling, individual and group counseling services that a lot of people may be familiar with. And we also do a lot of workshops, preventive work, things like that. We offer uh, services in the community, what we call our Let's Talk sessions. We have counselor stations on about a dozen dozen different places around campus where students can just walk in if if they don't need a full-blown diagnosis and treatment plan, that kind of thing, but they're just looking to come in and talk about something. Mm -hmm. The Let's Talk is an opportunity for them to do that without having to go through the whole process. We also have uh, our recovery house, which is housing specifically for students who've made a commitment to their recovery. Um, and we have a, you know, I could tell you a lot of different clinical services we have, but I think that's pretty much the overview. Nice. And um, just to kind of the general history, to understand the general history too, um, how, I don't know if you even know this, but like why was CAP started? How long has it been on campus? And how has it grown over the years too? Yeah, I can tell you it's certainly grown. Uh, by way of history, I couldn't tell you exactly when, when CAPS uh, started, but its current iteration essentially came together around 2009, 2010. Prior to that, there were individual counseling centers back when we had the college model. You know, there are the, the different colleges at Rutgers. Uh, and in 2009, 2010, things were centralized to where now we have our primary location at 17 Senior Street on College Avenue, and we have um, the satellite office over at 61 Nickel Avenue on Douglas, and I'll tell you a little bit about our Next Step program probably a little bit later in the hour. Um, so in terms of how it's evolved, it's grown. I mean, the number mm-hmm. of services grow. Uh, actually, uh, on the national scale, the proportion of university students that come seek mental health services is growing faster than the actual classes are growing, so oh, wow. it's clear that the demand uh, continues to grow. And so, really, the evolution has been a response to student needs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mental health and related needs. And just, you know, CAPS, of course, is part of the greater student health, 
which also is part of student health and wellness. And so you really have to see CAPS not as an individual service, but as a part of this bigger picture that student affairs creates. Because the the recognition that students are not just here for academic purposes, they're here to learn how to live healthy, well-rounded lives. And so along with our partners in the health and medical services and um, the health outreach promotion education or the HOPE program, recreation programs, violence prevention, victim assistance, all these can affect mental health, even mm-hmm. if it's not as obvious and direct. So it's really all part of that bigger picture, and of course, it's a response to an ever-growing need. Yeah, and, and talking about those those growing needs, um, I'm not sure if you have like a full range of access to all this information, but what are some of the, the common um, issues and things that you see students coming into CAPS needing help with? Well, they run the gamut, really. Uh, people who may not be familiar with college mental health might think of it as uh, your classic college student issues, adjustment to college, academic issues, relationship issues. Certainly, we get all that, but also uh, they run a continuum from those kinds of things to you know, more severe mental illnesses. I mean, we have students with bipolar disorder and psychotic disorders and things like that, and so. Uh, we have to be available to address that full full range of needs. So clearly, if you were to pick one thing that affects the most students that come to us, it's some form of anxiety, whether you're talking about chronic worry or more focused panic disorder kinds of things and uh, some combination of those. But certainly depression is a very, very close second. Um, whether we're talking about you know periodic mood issues or more of a full-blown incapacitating clinical depression, students come in with with all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the biggest piece of it. And then, you know, there are many other issues. I mean, the substance use issues are certainly a a significant factor. And often we have what we call co-occurring disorders. It's actually pretty unusual for someone to have, quote-unquote, just a substance use issue. It's usually co-occurring with some other aspect of, of mental health. Uh, and of course, there's you know unfortunately a, a significant number of students uh, who have experienced trauma in one form or another, and so you know, that's also a, a significant issue. So it's the full anything an outpatient mental health center sees, we see. Mm-hmm. So. And then, uh, how many students, or what percentage of students, access CAPS yearly, or um, just in general, how many students you think? Yeah, that, that's been growing. If you look at the New Brunswick campus, which currently has around 50,000 students, some of them, around 7,000 of them, are part of our BHS, which uh, we're not, we don't serve, but for the remaining 3,000, give or take, we see around 10% or so. So last year we saw just over 4,500 students, wow. and we provided over 30,000 appointments to those students, so we're, we're busy. <laughs> Um, We're going to take a short break, but then we're going to come back and discuss kind of specifically how mental health manifests itself on on college campuses. But this is Core of the Matter, the Public Affairs Forum for 90.3. Live from the Livingston campus of Rutgers University. This is RLC WVPH in Piscataway. 90.3, The Core. Independent community radio from Piscataway High School and Rutgers University. Learn more at thecore.fm. Many voices. One station. This is 90.3 The Core. (laughs) 
And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We are here with Steve Sonley, the director of CAPS at Rutgers, and we're discussing student mental health on campus. Um, So before we were discussing kind of some of the general issues that students come to CAPS needing help with, um, what are some of the mental health issues that are unique to college campuses specifically? Well, I don't know if any are entirely unique, but we certainly see numbers of issues with adjustment, you know, students first coming, not only because it's college that's new to them, or maybe it's the first time living away from home, but we have a good number of international students who are adjusting to the whole change in, in culture and maybe went from, you know, being part of a family and social system and now feeling kind of isolated because you know they've you know, they're at least physically not not connected to those supports anymore so adjustment issues but also a good number of students of course deal with academic stress um, you know it's a competitive environment and we see it more in some places than others but I think overall the the level of anxiety that your typical college student feels about performance about grades about the future is probably higher than it's ever been so I, I think it's a combination of factors but in a school like Rutgers being that you know we serve a wide range of students uh, more than a few students have very real economic issues including food insecurity issues and I think that's something you don't get at every school it's certainly common but in a large urban center like ours, you, you're going to get you know, a wide range of things. And uh, many interpersonal issues. I mean, there are students who uh, have already had, uh, you know, started families and have been involved in, you know, uh, other careers and things like that. So it's, you know, no one thing that's unique to Rutgers, but I think the things that college students deal with have largely to do with adjustment and probably, you know, economics are another big issue. Now, another issue that is not certainly unique to colleges, but that we're recognizing a need to respond to is uh, social justice issues. You know, so students at a campus as diverse as Rutgers, you know, we have people from over 115 countries. And so, you know, people coming from many different backgrounds and living in many different identities. And so it's easy for people to feel uh, isolated or marginalized. Um, And so, you know, at at CAPS, we have, have an ongoing conversation about how we can better be aware of and respond to, to those issues. I'd be happy to tell you some more about that. Yeah, no, we're going to, we were going to go into that a little bit later, but we can touch upon that right now because right. Um, it has been well documented that people from racial and ethnic minority groups are less likely to receive mental health care for a variety of different reasons, whether that's um, just being economically enabled to access the care or just general stigmas in those specific communities. Um, and a study from 2015 found that among adults with with any mental health illness, um, 48% of white people receive mental health services compared to 31% of black people and um, 22% of Asian people. Um, how are mental health professionals, even at CAPS and also just in the general mental health community, um, addressing these disparities? Yeah, those are those are very real issues, and some driven by economics, but also by by cultural issues. I think pretty much in in any culture, if you look uh, closely and if you look back far enough, there's some 
stigma about mental illness. You know, some uh, sometimes it's shame, or sometimes it's perceived as you know weakness or or something other than what it really is. And so many people have have grown up with the idea that if you get mental health care, there's something wrong with you. I mean, I can't tell you how many students have have said, well, if my friends, if my family, if you know someone important to me knew that I was seeking these services, oh, that would be that would be really bad. So what we're trying to do is change that. And again, this is not um, unique to any one culture, but certainly in some it seems to be a bit more of a, of a theme than others. But uh, the response to that is to simply be talking about it. You know, it's, it's one of those many things that might seem scary until we start talking about it. And then as people talk about it, they realize that it, it's much more common. Everybody, if they're not affected themselves, they know somebody who was. And our goal, and we have a long way to go, would be to, if someone has, they're having depressive episodes or they're having anxiety that's just incapacitating them or they're having other mental health issues, they should be as comfortable coming to a provider and saying, hey, I need help with this, as they would be to go to the dentist with their toothache. You know? mm-hmm. And again, we're, we're far from that because people have, you know, the stigmas are there. But I think the answer to it is, you know, ongoing conversation and education and just normalizing. Yeah. Do you think the mental health community as professionals needs to do a better job at reflecting the diversity of the larger population? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like when we do our hires, you know, expanding the diversity of our staff is always a, a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a combination of the you know, literally who who's providing the services and also how aware of and sensitive to the issues they are. So, I mean, let's face it, if somebody walks into CAPS and they're a person of color and they walk around and they see that, you know, there are staff there representing, you know, people of color, but it's a largely white organization. And so, depending on a million factors that go into it, they may initially feel a little uncomfortable. It might be based on experiences they've had somewhere else. It might Mm -hmm. be based on all kinds of stereotypes but you know to to answer your question i think the the issue is to be aware of you know our own biases and how they play out and being able to talk about them yeah um and i think in speaking of barriers that prevent students from getting treatment or make them uncomfortable in in getting treatment um the student population at Rutgers is obviously very large compared to many other colleges um and many students who want and need caps um, often find it very, very difficult to access these services in a timely manner. Um, what is your response to those students and those con- kind of concerns? Yeah, yeah, that's certainly it's a tricky question. I mean, uh, whatever you're offering, it would always be nice if you could offer it, you know, quicker and, and things like that. But to put it in perspective, you know, university students uh, overall compared to, let's say, the general population actually have fairly good access to mental health services. So, you know, someone, um, your average person who, let's say, might have health insurance and wants to seek mental health services, what, what do they have to do? They go to their insurance company, they look who's in the network, and they start calling providers. And, you know, it's not always as easy as picking up a phone and getting an appointment tomorrow. Um, so, you know, compared to that, and also compared to other Big Ten schools uh, in terms of wait times and things like that, Rutgers fares pretty well. Now, to the student who's sitting there waiting for the appointment and wants to come in tomorrow and there's nothing available unless it's urgent, you know, that that doesn't necessarily uh, yeah. comfort. But, you know, the fact is, overall, um, uh, while we can always do better, I think where we are right now in offering services is is pretty good. But I think the the, the bigger question is, you know, that always that balance. Now, let's say, for example, we wanted to 
I don't know, double or triple the, the staff it caps, okay, and the space and all that, just to get people in quicker. In theory, that'd be possible, but it would come at a cost. And, you know, one of the biggest stressors for university students is the cost of attendance, you know, how much debt you're racking up being in school and all that. So there's lots of things that might theoretically be possible, but then they come at that cost, and you might be solving one problem by, by creating another. So I think the real question, the bigger question is, you know, are we doing enough with what we have? You know, so we're always looking to be more efficient and walking on that fine line between, you know, bigger numbers. We can always get more students in the door, but you know, we're going to reduce what we give them and reduce the quality. And finding out, you know, where can we get the best return on the students' investments? And that's something we're always striving to do. Yeah, because I think um, a lot of students, at least some that I talk to, I think see very large budgets in like departments like athletics um, and then see departments like CAPS not as well-funded. Do you feel like CAPS is supported by the university as much as it can without, again, having to offset the cost with tuition? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky question because, again, if, if you're looking at the university's investment in students, especially in their, their health and wellness, you know, the, the Department of Student Affairs is, you know, a huge part of the university. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big, it represents a lot of resources, and that's all about the student experience. So CAPS is one part of that. And again, with some of the other programs that I mentioned, and not just mental health, but things like, you know, recreation or like within residence life, they don't just house students, they provide a lot of support for students, particularly students who are having difficulty. So, you know, to, to say that the university has invested heavily in, in enhancing student health and wellness is really an understatement. I mean, it's a, it's a big, uh, they've lived out the commitment. So any one department could say, sure, we would like more of the money to do what we do, but that means somebody else is going to do something less, or it means that, you know, someone's going to pay more in tuition. So with with the limited resources, you know, I I, I think it's clear Rutgers has, has funded student wellness well, and I'm right now I feel good about what we're doing, but it's one of those things that we can always get better at. How can we take the resource we have and do more for students without reducing quality? And that's just the, what the day-to-day -day jobs we do are. Yeah. And um, besides funding and support from the university, some students have complained um, that the department uses kind of a type of quote-unquote outsourcing um, where students are referred to psychiatrists and therapists in surrounding areas like Highland Park and East Brunswick. Um, what's kind of, what does this process involve and how does CAPS kind of make that determination? Sure. Well, it's generally the determination is made by both CAPS and the students. Uh, what we really want to do is make sure the students aware of all of their options. So when someone first comes to CAPS, <clears throat> whether it's, you know, they have an initial contact appointment or they come in for a crisis appointment, something like that, what we're doing is a quick needs assessment to figure out is what you need and what you want to get something that we have here to offer at CAPS or not. If they need something we don't have, that, that's a simple question. I mean, if you, you know, have substance use issues, we can help you with that. But if you need uh, detoxification for alcohol, that we can't provide. We've got to refer you. If you need inpatient care, we've got to refer you. But for something where there might be an option, you could come to CAPS. Let's say you know you want traditional outpatient counseling or you want to be in a group and you want something like that. We make the student aware of the option. You can come here, and here's what we offer and how we do it. And you also have the option to go outside, and we talk about the pros and cons of that. Um, so we maintain a, a list, a database of providers in the area to whom we've sent students and gotten good reviews. You know, not, we don't send people to just anybody. 
Um, and it's really the student's choice. You know, they might look at the pros and cons. Some don't want to come to um, the counseling center, and they, especially if uh, they're a member of an organization or something, and they know other people there, and they want to keep it private. So sometimes it's, it's a privacy issue, whether it's related to stigma or something else. Um, and if there's a particular type of therapy that they want that we don't happen to offer, then you know we might refer out. But it's it's unless it's something we don't provide. Uh, it's the student's choice. We never say we won't see you unless it's something that, that we can't do. So, yeah. And then um, obviously we're, most of our listeners right now are probably students either up here in the summer or are just working their job. Mm-hmm. Um, for students who are living near campus who may be working that summer internship and not necessarily um, registered for classes and may not have the adequate insurance to access traditional mental health services. Is there options for them um, through CAPS or even just in the general community? Well, they can certainly come to CAPS. If a student uh, was registered for the spring and they're registered for the fall, then in the summer they are eligible to receive CAPS services. They just have to pay the one-time health fee, which is, at this point, it's $41. Okay. Um, normally, for the semester, they pay that along with their normal term bill. And if you have a summer class, then you, you don't need to be you don't need to pay the fee. But for those students in that status, for the one-time fee, they can... And that's not just CAPS. That's all student health services. Okay. Definitely good to know for our summer summer resident listeners. Um, we're going to take a short break again, um, but we'll come back with more kind of general discussion around mental health issues um, in society. Um, but this has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. <laughs> Thanks for staying tuned to 90.3 The Core. Now The Core Community Calendar. Saturday, August 24th. Hub City Sounds presents Carafest, the Caribbean festival held at Boyd Park featuring free food, music, dancing, and more starting at noon. All throughout August, Woodbridge's Summer Concert Series is bringing a lineup of Summerfest events including Monday Night Oldies, Tribute Band Tuesdays, Local Band Thursdays, and more. Starting Tuesday, September 3rd, the League of Women Voters of the Greater New Brunswick Area is celebrating National Voter Registration Day with an online trivia quiz. Running through September 24th to raise voter awareness, the quiz will offer $300 to one winning contestant. The League reminds you to register before October 15th in order to vote in November. Don't forget to check out our website at thecore.fm. And now stay tuned. More great core radio is on the way. Thank you for listening to 90.3 The Core. And now, the core concert calendar. Monday, August 26th, Asbury Park's House of Independence is hosting Drake Bell with Painted Young and Candace Lee. Doors open at 7 p.m. Tuesday, August 27th, Montclair's Wellmont Theater presents parody groups Max Sabbath and Oakley Doakley featuring Playboy Man Baby. Doors open at 7 p.m. Friday, August 30th, Knotfest comes to Homedale's PNC Bank Arts Center, headlined by Slipknot, Volbeat, Gojira, and Behemoth. Show opens at 5.30 p.m. Also Friday, August 30th, Hall Notes are coming to Atlantic City's Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Show starts at 8 p.m. Don't forget to check out our website at thecore.fm. And now stay tuned. More great core radio is on the way. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We're here with Steve Sonley, the director of CAPS, discussing student mental health on campus and also just general issues of, of mental health in larger society. Um, 
in the wake of recent mass shootings in um, El Paso and Dayton and just mass shootings in general, um, some people have linked mental health issues in society with these kinds of instances of violence. Um, what are the consequences of, of making this kind of assertion? Well, I think there are some unfortunate consequences. Uh, we don't want to jump to the assumption or the conclusion that there's such a correlation between mental health issues and violence. Uh, certainly not everyone who engages in violence necessarily has a, a diagnosed mental health issue. And the more important part is that most people who have mental health issues are not going to become violent. And so I think one of the outcomes of that you know, the connection is it increases stigma. You know, so if we start to associate mental illness, uh, psychiatric issues with violence, then that creates the, the stigma. Whether we realize it or not, we might be making the assumption: oh, that person has a mental health issue, therefore they might be more likely to perpetrate a violent act. And that's just—it's not that kind of correlation. So I think it's—it's it's an unfortunate outcome. And do you think that? there are kind of concrete things that we can do to kind of combat those stigmas or is that more of just a larger conversation about, you know, just general kind of relationships that we have in society? Um, are there things that, you know, think we could do better to combat stigma? Yeah, well, I, I think it's both. I mean, certainly we should do everything we can to combat the stigma. And like I said before, it's, it's about talking about it and it's about education. You know, like here at Rutgers, a big you know, part of, what we do is education uh, within student affairs, like the health outreach promotion education department. They're all about, you know, letting people know about these things. So if you have a mental health issue, that doesn't mean you know, all these other things are true, all these negative things. And so I think education, talking about it is important. And on, on the grander scale, I mean, we know that when, when people uh, perpetrate these, these violent acts, I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem there's any rhyme or reason to it, but, you know, these are people who often feel uh, particularly disconnected, unaffiliated, um, you know, and certainly not everyone who feels that way is going to, to act violently, but there's so many, many other factors involved. So, I mean, if, if I could give you a, a really comprehensive and, and satisfactory answer to that question, I, I wouldn't be sitting here yeah. be getting my Nobel Prize somewhere. <laughs> But uh, the important thing to keep in mind is that we, we want to really work to break that, that perceived link between uh, mental health issues and, and these kind of violent acts. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a societal level thing. It's, it's not a university thing, certainly not just a Rutgers thing. Yeah. Um, and then in the U.S., another big concern, too, is um, the fast increasing rate of suicide. Yeah. Um, and it has um, increased over 30%, I believe, in the last 10 years, or it, it's definitely going up rapidly. Um, what do you think are some of the major contributors to, to these kinds of, of, of this kind of suicide increase? Yeah, again, just, just a very, very big question. I mean, depending on whose data you look at, according to CDC, from around 99 or 2000 until about five years ago, the increase was something like 24%. But yeah, same this, the point is the same. It's a huge increase. And I don't think there's any one factor that's contributing to it. I mean, if you just look at the complexity of the world we, uh, the world we live in, I mean, uh, what's going on in politics and what's going on at both the national level and the global level, uh, you know, it's, there are more opportunities for people to feel frustrated. And when it comes to suicide, you know, regardless of whether it's mental illness or any of the other factors we can talk about, the bottom line is someone takes... 
uh, their own life when they've lost hope. You know, and so whether or not someone copes with life's challenges or feeling disconnected or whatever it is, or loses hope is such a complicated question. And mental health is certainly a piece of that question, but it's certainly not the only piece. Yeah. And um, have you seen, I mean, obviously Rutgers has had a fairly good tracker record, especially over the past few years in terms of suicides. I know Tyler Clementi was obviously a really turning point for the university and how Mm -hmm. we address mental health on campus and also issues of LGBT people on campus. Um, But have you noticed, um, any kind of that kind of increase in suicides recently manifests itself at CAPS. Do you, th- do you feel more students are feeling distressed beyond just the normal kind of stress level? Yeah, that that's a very important question. Um, every once in a while, we we take a snapshot, and w- when students come to see us for routine appointments, uh, we often have them complete some you know, very quick and simple instruments just to see how they're doing. A quick thing that you fill out about your mood and all that. And one of the things we do ask about at uh, almost every contact is whether you've had uh, thoughts of ending your life or uh, either suicide or just feeling like things are hopeless. And you know, sometimes as, as many as 30% of students will acknowledge that within the last week they've had those thoughts. And that doesn't mean they've <clears throat> gotten to the point of making a plan to do it, but the fact that as many as one in three of our students have had that thought you know, in the last week or so shows us that this is a, an issue that just permeates all these uh, different ways we can categorize students. I mean, anybody can be affected. Yeah, and it also makes... Um, programs like CAPS and just the mental health community in general more and more important in addressing and addressing that kind of growth in, in distress. Um, another big issue that's occurring in just in society and also in the mental health community um, is that so many prominent figures in politics and the media have been very critical of antidepressants and and other kind of, of psychiatric drugs and treatments for mental health. Um, what is your kind of take on, on those on those people and those kinds of critiques of of antidepressants? Well, I, mean, I wouldn't say anything about them as a group. I think it's, it's yeah. an individual thing. I think everybody has their own uh, understandings or misunderstandings and, and ideas. But, um, yeah, I, I think like any other approach, uh, mental health treatment, including the prescription of medications, has to be subject to, to questioning and, you know, justifying itself. Uh, there probably are times when you know an antidepressant, for example, is uh, is prescribed when maybe it wasn't necessarily the best thing or the only thing that should have been done. But I think a bigger problem actually is under prescribing. I think there's a, a large number of people who you know, would benefit from mental health treatment who don't get it because of uh, all the stigma and you know, those criticisms which contribute to the stigma. So at the bottom line, you mentioned antidepressants in particular, they're a very valid and useful tool. And like any other tool, it needs to be used at the right place with the right person at the right time and all those things. So you can always find an exception to where you know it wasn't used properly. But you know, in general, we can consider medications, including antidepressants, to be a very important tool in the toolbox, so to speak. Yeah, and another conversation, too, that's happening in in politics in particular is um, conversations around the role that pharmaceutical companies are playing within not only the mental health system, but in the healthcare system in general. Um, Do you think that these types of companies have any kind of problematically close relationship to things like the DSM-5 and just... Psychi- psychiatrists in general? Well, I mean, 
pharmaceutical companies, of course, are large and powerful companies. You know, so they they have influence at the bottom line. They have a, a product to sell. But then, what what is done with that product? I think comes down to the level of the individual provider. And so, you know, if a psychiatrist or an advanced practice nurse who's who's doing the uh, the prescribing is focused on an individual patient and that patient's well-being, then you know, regardless of uh, you know, what pharmaceutical companies are doing to, to sell their product, the fact is they do have a good product that is, you know, it's useful. It, it can benefit. So it's more the choice of the individual practitioner. But you mentioned the DSM. I mean, they were, um, for listeners who might not be familiar, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is basically what psychiatrists and other mental health professionals use to diagnose, so to figure out do you have this disorder or that one. And diagnosis is its own very complex topic. It in some ways is very useful, and in other ways it can be very limiting. Uh, labels can help, and they can get in the way, and they can they can create biases and assumptions. So that that's its own conversation. But um, you know, the DSM is published by the American Psychiatric Association, which is you know separate. It's nonprofit. It's it's not part of, but obviously is you know at some level influenced by um, you know what what comes out of pharma and, and other powerful entities. So again, but to answer your question, I think it really comes down to the individual provider uh, making a decision based on the understanding of the patient sitting in front of them. Good to know. Um, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back with how students can access CAPS and also get involved in the work that CAPS is doing. But this has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. wine glass what was that for sorry my favorite song just came on 90.3 the core oh that's fine then yeah this happens every week every week yeah of course there's so many different djs with different music i found my favorite show by checking the schedule at thecore.fm Ooh, maybe i'll find some shows where it's shattering glass too just do me a favor and find your own remember you can always see what's playing all week at thecore.fm keep listening to 90.3 the core Hey there, beautiful. I'm Bill. Aren't you sweet? Hi, I'm Jen. Cigarette? Thanks, but I don't smoke. So how long have you been smoking? Smoking? I don't know. Can I buy you a drink? I'm good, thanks. Why'd you start smoking? I don't know. What's up with the 20 questions? Oh, sorry. You just look so natural with a cigarette in your hand, and I was curious how the whole smoking thing started. Tell you what, Jen. Why don't we get out of here, and uh, then you can ask me all the questions you want. Listen, I'm just conducting a smoking survey for my class. Why would I want to hang out with someone who smells like an ashtray and who with each puff ingests over 4,000 disgusting chemicals? I'm out of here. Who was that? Some girl that hates people who smoke. Really? I'm going to catch up with her. Later, man. Need any more reasons to quit smoking? Visit njrebel.com. This message is brought to you by the Center for Addiction Studies and 90.3 The Core. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. 
thatsnotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council and 90.3 The Core. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We're discussing student mental health issues on campus and also just general issues around mental health in larger society. And we are joined by Steve Sonley, the director of CAPS here at Rutgers, who is welcome, who's thankfully joined us on the program today. Um, so just in general, how do students access the services that, that CAPS provides? What are some routes they can go down? The primary way students find their way to us is by picking up the phone and calling us. Uh, they can schedule what we call an initial contact appointment, which is what I mentioned earlier, where we figure out, you know, is CAPS the place you want to come for what you need uh, and or somewhere else that we refer you to. Um, and I should mention that when we do refer students out, we do keep track of them. We do what's called case management. So we make sure that they land where we sent them and then as they transition through different things. But also students can just walk in. Uh, for students who are in crisis, we have a 20, a, um, what we call an on-call service. So there's always a clinician when we're open, which is 8.30 to 5, Monday to Friday. There's a clinician who's there just to receive students who are in real crisis, uh, certainly if they're thinking about suicide or violence but it doesn't have to be quite at that level, uh, but if it's a real urgency. And then we do offer a limited number of appointments online. Um, if students go online and they look for an appointment they can't find one, they should pick up the phone and call us. We, we started offering that not long ago because we know that students want it. It's a, for many students, it's a preferred way to access it, but it does have some limitations. Uh, for example, we learned that you know, when, when people call us and making that initial contact appointment, the odds that they're not going to show hover around 10%, like 8 to 12% when they make the appointment online. We found that the odds of not showing went up to over 50%. Wow. <laughs> and so we, we just can't operate like that because then there are all these appointments that other students would have been so happy to have that now just go unused. And so um, some universities, you know, try things like charging fees for no-shows and things like that. And, you know, we, we would like to avoid getting to that if we can and, and try other ways to, to you know, help students understand how important it is to either show up or cancel. Uh, but those are the, the general ways in. Also, we have, I mentioned Let's Talk counselors in different locations on campus. Um, they can, uh, the student doesn't have to belong to the community where the, the Let's Talk counselor is. We just put them there to be accessible to those communities, but they're also accessible to anybody. Nice. Um, I know at the top of the show, you had talked about some of the specific services that CAPS provide. Are there other ones that you'd want to let students know that are available to them? Yeah, one thing that we've started offering <clears throat> beginning last semester is what we call the Next Step program. Now, students don't typically come in looking for that specific program, but I'll tell you about it because it fills an important gap. So if students come to us and they need something a little more than we can offer through the traditional individual and group counseling appointments, and uh, but they don't quite need something as intensive as, let's say, being in the hospital or a partial hospital, Oftentimes, the best uh, approach is what we call an IOP, an intensive outpatient program, and there are several good ones around that we send students to, but sometimes that's impractical, either for scheduling reasons, transportation reasons, or you know, insurance and financial reasons. So there are students that we've sent in that direction that, you know, for many of those reasons, just haven't connected. So Next Step was created to be kind of a step between those. So if you need 
uh, more frequent contact, you can come to Next Step as often as five days a week. You don't have to come that many. We ask that students get in at least twice a week if they're in the program, but it can be up to five. There's individual work, there's group work, there's case management. Uh, and then there are other like workshop kind of groups that are not therapy per se, but are certainly therapeutic. Uh, so that that's an important uh, aspect of what we offer. And we do a lot of workshops. So if you don't want therapy or counseling, but you do want to learn some skills, we have uh, a thing we call the Cultivating Calm Group as one example. But there's a whole uh, roster of different uh, workshops and things. Uh, we offer mindfulness meditation. Um, if you look on our website, you can see the different locations and um, options, but every week there, during the semesters, there are several mindfulness workshops available, and there's mindful yoga available. So things that might not be thought of as mental health services per se, but certainly contribute to mental health and wellness. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm a big yoga person, so I definitely know the benefits, especially mental health wise. Um, another big concern um, that a lot of students have too is um, going how accessing services may impact their academic pursuits. Um, does CAPS have um, a process of communicating with professors or departments to ensure that students who are accessing services feel like they can balance everything and have you know a, a general way to go forward? Yeah, that that's a tricky one. I mean, for one thing, we, we can't contact anybody's professor or anybody else without their permission. But even if we have it, we uh, try to offer as much flexibility as we can in our schedule because we don't want students missing academics. To, mm -hmm. We want them to be able to get our service without having to do that. In situations where, you know, for whatever reason, a student does uh, miss a class because they've come to see us, you know, we can confirm that the person saw us if a student asks can you write me a letter to say I was here we can do that but we we don't advocate and say please excuse this person unless it was you know an emergency where they had yeah. to be at that time but if you know the, the scheduling and compatibility is meant they chose to come to see us instead of going to class you know that we can't can't really do mm -hmm. is there any advice you would give to students looking to get the most out of their caps experience yeah, um, the most important thing is you know be clear about what you need and why you came. I mean, sometimes people come and for different reasons they're not comfortable telling their whole story, and that's certainly understandable. We do the best we can to make it comfortable and safe to do that, but sometimes you know you have to push yourself a little bit and take a chance and put it out there. And so the more we know, the the more we can help. And the other thing I would say is be open to things that you might not have expected. You might come to CAPS thinking you're going to get an individual counselor. And that's certainly available. For students who've not been in group therapy, they might think, I don't want to do group. I don't want to tell other people my problems. I want the full attention of the therapist. I'm afraid of all those things. But if students give group a chance and they come for a few sessions, they often find that in some settings, in some situations, group is actually a more effective treatment because students can hear things from each other that they might not necessarily hear from a, a counselor you know, because they might hear from another student who has dealt with or is dealing with something similar or can relate to, to the problem in a similar way and they might learn about you know how others have coped. But you know, there's a there's a process that happens when students get together as a group and talk about really important things. And so, you know, really being open to to group, I think, is one if there's one thing that general CAP students could change, I think there's a lot of them that would benefit a lot from group therapy if they give it a shot. 
Nice. Um, are there any ways that undergraduate or even graduate students can get involved in CAPS through volunteering or other types of outlets? Right now, we, we don't have uh, anything like that. And the primary issue there is privacy and confidentiality. Mm-hmm. I mean, if students are volunteering at CAPS, then you know, they're not clients and they're not trainees, but they would see which students were coming and going. And then you know, there's those kind of issues. Um, one thing I am looking to do in the coming academic year is to create a student advisory group where I will be looking for uh, students to volunteer to meet uh, with me and possibly some of my other staff, uh, not a lot, you know, periodically throughout the year, because we really want to have a, a finger on the pulse of what, what students are asking for. And obviously the students who come to us tell us things, but also to get a more general sense of, of what students are thinking and feeling about CAPS and what they need that we might be able to do that we're not doing already. Nice. Um, and besides that um, student advisory committee, are there any upcoming events or programs that CAPS currently has planned for next semester or next year? Well, our group program is always growing. Uh, so we have a variety of groups. We have uh, what we call uh, DBT or dialectical behavior therapy groups, which uh, where students can learn skills that are very practical. It's a little different from what you might think of as a quote-unquote therapy group. So again, it's therapeutic, but it's about developing skills. There are groups for particular issues and concerns. Um, some groups, what we call interpersonal process groups, where there's the, the focus is not on a particular disease or pathology, that kind of thing, but on um, relationships and getting feedback from each other. And then we have groups uh, for particular particular themes, like um, there's a group we call Body Positive, all about body image issues. And then for students affected by something like PTSD, we do have individual treatment, certainly, but there are groups specifically focused on dealing with um, on PTSD. And then there are uh, groups, we have a gender identity group, uh, LGBTQ group. Um, so, you know, a lot of different things. So you can keep your eye out for that. That's uh, something I want everybody to know about. All right, Steve. Well, I think this was a really informative conversation. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot about CAPS and also just mental health issues in general. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. If you have an idea or organization that you think should be on our program, you can email us at publicaffairs at thecore.fm. Anyway, this has been Core of the Matter. Thanks for listening and tune in for more Core Radio after this.